Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 25 from Delving into Islam Q&A. This is your host Wa'il and it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, also, if you want to you know, uh, learn about the release dates of the episodes or any uh, upcoming announcements, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Delving Into Islam Podcast. Again, Delving Into Islam Podcast for all the announcements. Uh, now, Delving Into Islam Q&A is a shorter version of our main topics where I answer directly your questions. And today's question comes to us from Sister Mu'mina. Sister Mu'mina is a recent convert, I believe, and she has a horrifying story, not for herself, but her husband, basically met with uh, someone and I believe uh, he that someone is from Somalia and uh, that person basically told him a story regarding uh, an abuse that he received by uh, a boarding school like a culture or an Islamic boarding school basically the story is that his mother uh, told him that you know they're traveling somewhere and then she sent him to that boarding school. He did not know anything about it. And in that boarding school, he was, quote unquote, taught mannerisms and how to get, you know, uh, more knowledge in, 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 in his religion and Islam. But that happened in a very unpleasant way. Uh, they, again, tortured him. They uh, forced, basically, Islam on him. And, it, you know, it was a horrifying experience and a traumatizing experience as well. So uh, Sister Mumina is trying to understand how could, you know, could this be and how there are schools out there that do these things and how, you know, families could do these things to their children knowingly. And again, Sister Mumina, thank you so much for your question. Uh, now, before I start answering, I, I apologize in advance because I'm not uh, I'm not feeling well. I'm a little bit uh, sick, or I'm about to get sick. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala make it easy, so my voice might might sound off uh, a little bit. So I just want you to, you know, bear with me if again my voice doesn't sound normal. Now, <clears throat> uh, the question by by, by Sister Mumina raises another big. Uh, question which is can we force islam on people whether they're muslims or not you know like uh, you know it's just it's it's a question like i we know islam is the truth there is no denying that islam is the truth however do we force islam on people like are muslims forcing islam on people and of course, the simple answer to that question is no. But I want to to analyze that question and, and, and give a proper answer. I want to first go through the situation with uh, with the story that you know we just you know were briefed on. Uh, 
now we have to first of all even for sister moment i have to take the story with a grain of salt the reason why is this is coming from someone who granted they were talking about their own experience but sometimes for being emotional or you know sometimes people exaggerate the story i'm not saying this is not true we don't know i did my research and there are a couple of reports or people now when i say reports it's just people telling their stories and they're mainly from somalia or uh, from indonesia more from somalia uh, but there are some stories and they're very minor by the way i went online and i was trying to look for stories there are a couple of them uh, and alhamdulillah, by the will of Allah, because we're going to, uh, about a whole concept here, so I want to make sure that this is coming from certain people who are saying they experienced that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu in ja'akum fasukum binaba fatabayanu. Like, just make sure, Allah saying, when someone comes to you with news about anything, about something happened to them or something else happened, you have to verify that this actually happened to them. And so, since there is no way to verify, we'll just say we're going to address the topic in general. Again, there are multiple people who said the same thing. So, again, maybe they, they, they this happened to them and even worse things happened to them. Or maybe they exaggerated a little bit. We don't know. So, we'll address the concept of forcing Islam on people. Now, the, the concept, this this actually it's it's more related to culture than islam which is uh parents in in somalia they send their kids technically kidnap them uh and send them to a specific school which is actually that 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 itself that that movement is called the khan elise the khan elise which is basically back to culture or back culture they think that their children are not cultured enough they're not religious enough, so they send their kids into these boarding schools to teach them, again, culture, proper mannerisms, and in that process, they abuse them. You know, I've heard, or when I was researching, I read on a female Muslim who was sent to the one of those, and she says that she was raped there. So it is inhumane by all means. Again, if this is true, if these stories are true, like they're being we're, we're being told, this is the most inhumane thing, uh, and uh, Islam has nothing to do with that. Just to 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 make that clear, Islamically speaking, those people who did that to the to, to the what do, what do I want to call them, like the children or those uh you know yeah it is the children uh, will be held accountable because they used an inhumane they tortured a human being first of all that's unacceptable in islam you know you can't claim that and again they could claim that there are muslims all they like they could claim that they're an islamic school or a culture school whatever you want to call it you will be held accountable for torturing torturing another human being in in the sight of Allah on the day of judgment you will be held accountable don't think that you know when you commit injustice even to one single person that you won't be held accountable you can repent yes but guess what even after you repent you have to go to that person on the day of judgment and they have to forgive you you don't get a free pass even if you repent and this is again we're going to get to that inshallah on the day of judgment but I'm saying right now Allah does not forgive the rights of other people because Allah is basically saying they have to forgive you. 
you repent, this is between you and Allah. Allah might forgive you for his right. But the rights of other people, Allah tells you. On, uh, by the way, on the day of judgment, Allah will tell you, they have to forgive you. So that is regarding those people who, you know, torture and use uh, disgusting and, again, inhumane techniques to force culture and religion uh, on people. Also, I want to send a message to the parents, the mother of that person or the father or whatever, the people who were okay with this or who even initiated this in the first place. These are your children, for God's sake. Like, what are you doing? Like, I've never seen someone who is willing to torture their kid to teach him mannerisms. And this is official torture. This is like, you know, when, uh, you know, uh, the intelligence of another country tries to interrogate someone and all these movies we've seen, you know, with the CIA, with whatever, and they take them to an off, like a black site, they call it, and they start, you know, waterboarding them and torturing them. This is similar. This is exactly the same. The difference is these are your own children. So I, I honestly, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like this is very strange to me. And again, it's, it's, if this actually happened the way it happened or the way we were told, then may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, um, make it easy on these children. And because again, imagine like, how do you expect to teach your your child to embrace Islam and practice Islam when the way you're doing it is through torturing them and punishing them and beating them up. And in again, certain cases, of course, it becomes inhumane that they go and commit raping. Now, alhamdulillah, when I did uh, the research, it's not a lot. This is very minor. Like these are like a, a couple of them. Alhamdulillah, this is not a thing at all in any culture, alhamdulillah. But it happens. Again, that, that, that does not negate the fact that it actually happens. It's very minor, a few incidents, but it happens. You want them to embrace Islam. First of all, like for example, when I want to teach my children to pray, I reward them for praying. Yes, I could yell at them when they get to a specific age and they don't want to pray. I can yell at them. That's about it. I can, you know, not talk to them. That's, I think, as far as punishment could go. Just stop talking to them. Even the Prophet said, when he said, beat your children at the age of 10 if they don't pray, the Prophet does, never meant beat up your children. It just beat them like in a kind way. You know, smack them in a kind way, not even when it hurts. As a reminder, hey, get up. You know, that little smack like, like this on the hand or on the shoulder, whatever. It doesn't matter where. It's just you don't beat them up. This is coming from our Prophet ﷺ. Be nice to your women, be nice to your children. The Prophet ﷺ, that was, by the way, his final sermon before he passed away. Be good to your children. Be good to your family. And how do you think they're going to love Islam? Now, this is not any representation of Islam. What you as a parent did or what this shady organization or organizations are doing has nothing to do with Islam. Yet, you still want them to love Islam. How would you do that? When You should tell them the truth about Islam. Sit down and talk to them. Oh, they're not listening. You don't beat them up. You don't punish them like that. Because guess what? They will hate Islam. Like if they were not interested now, now they're going to hate it. 
because to them in their minds oh i was tortured because i w- i was supposed to learn more about this religion and i know it's not just again i when i did the research it's not just about the religion those parents send those kids to those boarding school to learn culture mannerisms and religion as well but religion is part of it how are you expecting your children to love that religion? We want our children to love the religion the right way. Give them rewards. You know, if they're not interested, let them be for now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, no compulsion. Yet, it seems like you're doing the opposite. You could be frustrated. Yes, like I said, you could yell. But torturing your own child, even if you let someone else does it, you are the reason why they're being tortured. Do you think this is Islamically correct? Do you think that this is the Islamic thing to do? Of course not. It's not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the chapter of Baqarah, verse number uh, 256, لا إكراها في الدين قد Allah saying there is no compulsion in the religion. You do not force anyone. This is in the Quran. The first, the second chapter, the chapter of Baqarah. Do not force anyone, you know, uh, to embrace Islam or to learn Islam. The falsehood and the, the, the truthfulness, they're very apparent. People now know what's right and what's wrong. Do not force anyone uh, to embrace Islam. Do not force religion on anyone. Now, some might say, well, you're saying no compulsion in a religion. However, Islam spread through wars, conquering. So isn't that a little hypocritic if you're saying, you know, no compulsion in a religion? Right? People might say that. All right. Let's let's talk about that. And I just to, as a reminder for those of you who don't know, in season four, I talked very explicitly throughout many episodes about the life of the Prophet and the wars and what was, you know, the, the reason for certain wars and all these things. So go back and listen to that. But I'm going to give you the summary right now. Before the first battle in Islam, which is the Battle of Badr, when the Muslims became about what, 300 uh, soldiers and they escaped to Medina they were supposed to fight the people from Quraysh because the people from Quraysh were coming to attack them now before the battle Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the chapter of Baqarah verse number 216 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I have written fighting upon you right now. You're about to go to war. And you hate fighting. Allah is telling us, Muslims do not want to fight. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, the very famous verses that were, you might love, hate something, but it's good for you. So Allah's saying, I've written fighting upon you. You're about to go to war. I want you to go to war. I'm commanding you to go to war. 
That's before Badr. And I know that war is hated by you. You hate war. You hate going to war. You hate fighting. I know that. You don't want to do this. But you might hate something that it's good for you. And you might love something when it's evil and bad for you. By the way, this was the context of the very famous you know, verse that, you know, the verses that we always talk about being patient and about destiny, you know, like uh, you might hate something and it's good for you and you might love something and it's bad for you. This is the context of that verse now, which is the fighting, the battle. And the Muslims hating to fight. Now, Allah saying fighting in this battle is necessary. Because what happened? Quraysh, what did Quraysh do? The Quraysh were the enemies of Muslims at the time. What did Quraysh do? They simply kicked the Muslims out of their homes. They fought the Muslims. They used to torture the Muslims. They wanted to kill all the Muslims, including, and on top of actually the Muslims, Prophet Muhammad wasallam. This is, again, this is documented history. This is not manipulating the text like you know some people would do. This is documented even by non-Muslims. Now, Allah is saying enough is enough. They're coming to fight you. They're coming to meet you. You're going to have to fight them. So fighting was necessary. And we talked about this at nauseum on the podcast. But again, I'm, I'm summarizing this. It's necessary for Muslims to protect themselves. Sometimes Muslims would go attack other tribes because those tribes are a threat to Muslims. And Muslims had to eliminate the threat. It was all strategic, not to force Islam on people. By the way, not a single tribe were, were, was forced to learn about Islam or to embrace Islam. Now, for example, a battle takes place. Muslims win. Now, Muslims are about to take the spoils of war. So they say, hey, you want to become Muslims? You want to learn about Islam? And we'll leave you your stuff. By the way, the, the concept of spoils of war, this is global. Now, certain people, to get just to get back their stuff, they were like, okay, we're willing to give it a shot. Then they embraced Islam. Then they fall in love with Islam. And they became some of the best companions and the most famous companions. That tells you that they were not pretending. They truly fell in love with Islam. People who, again, wars took place. Many wars. We, we talked about this. Many battles during the time of the Prophet ﷺ and many after. But it was all because to eliminate a threat or people like in the, the Battle of Uhud. We all know what happened in the Battle of Uhud. They sent a whole army to kill the Prophet ﷺ by the mountain of Uhud. I mean, they met by the mountain of Uhud. He, they were supposed to go and attack them in Medina. But the Prophet met them at the mountain of Uhud. Fighting was necessary. Expanding Islam was necessary. Because otherwise they, will, they were not going to be Muslims. By the way, what, what did the Prophet tell when he was talking to Allah, making dua to Allah before the first battle, which is the battle of Badr? He said, oh Allah, if we don't win today, you won't be worshipped after today. We are the last believers on earth, the 300 that were you know, uh, going to war, the 300 believers, the companions and the Prophet. 
If we lose this battle, there's no more Islam. And Allah, of course, sent angels to aid them in all these things. So fighting was necessary. You can't say that, oh, Islam only spreads with peace. No, it didn't. Islam was never forced. So the idea, people never embraced Islam because they had a sword, you know, by their neck or they, they had like, they were forced. They were not forced, but wars were necessary for Islam to flourish, for people to learn about Islam, for people to embrace Islam. Guess what? Many of those who were enemies, the worst enemies of Islam became the best and the greatest and the most legendary companions that you hear about today. Omar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him. He hated Islam and he hated the Prophet and he went to kill him when he was praying by the Kaaba. How did Omar embrace Islam? The Prophet was praying one night by the Kaaba. Omar went to basically assassinate him. Then he started listening to the Quran while the Prophet was reciting and he felt like the verses were addressed to him. I'm not going to repeat the verses. This is going to take a long time. And then, this is Omar said, this is the first time that Islam entered his heart. Then later on, his sister embraced Islam and he found out that her his sister, Omar, embraced Islam. So he started to get angry and then he was about to punch her husband. But then she came in front of the punch and she was punched and that shook him. And he's like, I'm going to go and talk to Muhammad. He went to talk to Allah. Again, I'm, I'm just summarizing the story. The Prophet ﷺ literally grabs him and he said, What brought you here? And he literally said, Ashadu anna la ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Islam was in his mind making sense every day. He just needed a push. There was no fighting. Khalid ibn al Walid. He killed so many Muslims, especially in the Battle of Badr. It was like a disaster. He became one of the greatest companions. And guess what? What was his nickname? The sword of Allah given by the Prophet ﷺ. Someone who murdered a lot of Muslims. Now, in a battlefield. So he killed a lot of Muslims in a battlefield. Again, there were a lot of battles taking place. Some of the worst enemies of Islam fell in love with Islam. They were not forced. Khalid ibn Walid was not forced. Again, there are many stories the, the Islam is not the Allah subhanahu That's why no compulsion in a religion does not contradict anything. Now, some might say this. All right, we get it. Islam, for a certain reason, needed the wars, needed the battles, but it was not spread by force. Okay, no problem. How about when someone leaves Islam? The, the verdict is that, the, the, the ruling is that they should be executed. That is true, by the way. And, oh man, a lot of Islamophobes used that ruling to show that Islam is a brutal and a scary religion. So now you're telling me no compulsion in the religion, but you're saying that if you relieve the religion, you will be executed. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of scared now. So if I decided not to become a Muslim tomorrow, I'm going to be executed? <laughs> no See that's the danger Of taking things out of context In order for this to take place There are three conditions The first condition is If you do this in a Muslim country 
the execution will be by a Muslim leader or Muslim judge. This has to be done basically by the government. Not individuals walking in the street. Hey, you're not a Muslim anymore. Execute him. It doesn't work that way. Okay, but it's still weird, right? It's still very harsh and scary. Well, listen to the next two conditions. If you are a Muslim today and you decided tomorrow to leave Islam, there is no problem at all. No execution, no nothing, even if you live in a Muslim country. The problem, this is the second condition. The problem is, if you leave Islam and you start bashing Islam, slandering Muslims, making false statements about Islam, publicizing that Islam is the worst thing, and making up lies about Islam, because by the way, anything negative you'll say about Islam will be lies. That's a fact. If you don't agree with it, you don't agree with it. But I'm saying any negative slandering stuff will be false. Now, talking about Muslims, this is a different case. Like I said, Muslims are human beings. They could be evil. They could be good. They could be evil. They could be between. They are normal. Islam is perfection. Islam, wallahi, is the perfect religion. Wallahi, by Allah. There's not a single mistake in Islam. There are many mistakes in Muslims, yes. Not with Islam. Anyway. So you're going to keep slandering Islam, publicizing it, like people who go on YouTube and those videos and they say, oh, I was a Muslim, but they made me do this and this and that. It's all false. Even if this happened to you by bad Muslims, that's not Islam. So do not promote it as if it was Islam. Then in this case, if you live in a Muslim country, you will be captured by the government, like you will be arrested basically, and you will be executed. That is why. But if you leave Islam and you walk away, you never talk about it. Oh, you talk about it, but do not slander Islam and do not try to make people convert. Because by the way, you will be aiding shaitan. You know how many people are frustrated with religion in the first place? So now you come in and you're uh, trying to, you know, for your own agenda, you left Islam. Okay, no problem. No one has a problem with you. You know, you used to be a brother or a sister. Now you're not. Good, good luck to you. May Allah guide you or not. This is fine. But then you go and you start publicizing that, oh, Islam is not a true religion. And then making up false statements because you have to make up false statements to prove that Islam is a false religion. I'm telling you, well, it's a challenge. Because you're looking at people who simply did not, Islam did not match their lifestyle. They want to do a lot of bad things and they want to simply just quit Islam. They don't want to pray five times a day. They want to be obligated to do anything. They want to just live their lives free, carefree, nothing. Okay, no problem. But start, stop lying about Islam. If you lie about Islam, all right, you're going to get arrested by the government and be executed by the government. Number three, the third condition is if you're doing this willingly. So for example, if somebody forced you and told you, put a gun to your head and said, you have to say this about Islam, then as we know, you're not held accountable. There's nothing wrong with that at all, inshallah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, you know, aid you, especially if you were being, you know, again, threatened or all these things, right? That's it. Guess what? This concept is practiced by almost all governments. They just have a different label for it, which is treason. It is treason. What is the punishment of treason? You all know this. In most countries, it is death, death penalty. Death penalty. You were in Islam. You were part of the Muslim community. You decided to leave Islam. Go on you, no problem. 
Then you started bashing Islam, lying about Islam, slandering Islam, doing all the filthy stuff. Then if the government captures you or you are arrested, then you will be executed. When you are commit treason on a political level, then you your the penalty is death. Same thing when you commit treason with Islam. You want to leave Islam? No problem. Wallahi, nobody's forcing you. Again, Allah, the, you will, by the way, the rulings will never contradict the Quran. Rest assured. When Allah says no compulsion in a religion, no compulsion in a religion. That means no compulsion, meaning no forcing. No compulsion in making someone embrace Islam and no compulsion in keeping someone in Islam and no compulsion in teaching anyone Islam. That's what it means. You want to leave Islam? Go ahead. But bashing and talking and scheming against Islam, then yeah, execute. And again, it has to be done by the government. Now, I'm going to add one more thing that this is part of the uh, capital punishment of Sharia, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at this point gave the judge or the ruler of the Muslim country a leeway. You can just put them in prison. You don't have to murder them. Killing them is not, uh, is not mandatory at this point. You can just put them in prison. There is a leeway out of mercy of Allah for capital punishment like the penal code when it comes to very, again, sins that require penal code or like capital punishment. Even for that, Allah gave the Muslim ruler or the judge a leeway. A leeway. They can, you know, do something else. Give them another punishment. You don't have to kill them. You don't have to execute them. You can put them in prison for many years or whatever. So even, even after all the three conditions, you still can have an alternate route as a government with someone who leaves Islam. So don't tr come here and try, and I'm talking to those who, again, try to use the word, oh, no compulsion in religion, but this happens in Islam. You don't know what you're talking about with all due respect for those who have respect to Islam, but they are, again, misinformed. You don't know what you're talking about. Our religion, wallahi, is perfection. And again, sometimes disciplining is needed. Not torturing, not forcing someone to embrace Islam. It's called embrace Islam. Embrace or accept Islam. How would you accept by force and by compulsion? How would you embrace when you are being tortured? It does not make any sense in Islam. So if there is anyone, and I'm talking about like organizations, individuals, you name it. Yes, as a Muslim, and I want to make this clear. Everything I said right now is great. And this is the, the truth. It is a fact. This is from the Quran and the Sunnah. However, if I see another Muslim doing something wrong, I have the right to give them advice. By the way, that does not negate the fact that I can give you, if I see you doing something wrong, I have to talk to you. Now, here's the big difference. If I talk to you with politeness, with adab, with kindness, with softness, so you could listen to me. That is how the Prophet whenever the Prophet saw something wrong and the companions doing something wrong, he would just talk to them directly with a smile on his face. Yes, yeah, sometimes he would get angry, but that's about it. Because he's the Prophet You can't compare yourself to the Prophet But you can give advice to another Muslim in a nice manner. So they love coming back to Islam if they were, you know, astray. Do you guys understand? So again, 
Yes, if you see something wrong, speak against it. Talk to the person if you know if you know them. Be nice to them. Be kind to them. That you ha- they have to listen to you. No forcing, no torture, no none of that. None of that exists. And again, Islam is perfection. Like what Allah said in that verse. The straight path from falsehood are clear. Tabayan, meaning it's bayan, wadah. It's obvious, it's clear. Meaning what? You don't need to force anyone to embrace Islam. Just tell them, like right here, right now. I'm sitting talking to you, you know, using the podcast like as a platform to tell you the truth about Islam, to give you proof from the Quran and the Sunnah, to tell you that this is the correct religion. That's it. Now, after I tell you this, you have a brain. You have, you know, a mind of your own. You know what's right and what's wrong. The choice is up to you. That's why I always say when someone is telling me I'm thinking about becoming a Muslim, what do I always say? Once you are convinced, when it makes sense to you, then you should embrace Islam. Should not waste any time. I never say, you have to do it right now even if you're not convinced. It doesn't work that way. It actually defeats the whole purpose. Allah said, The straight path, the correct path, the truth is obvious from the falsehood. People who want to continue in their falsehood, let them be. Allah is saying, let them be. In the chapter of Kafirun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? Tell the disbelievers, you have your religion, I have mine. That's another confirmation that just leave them alone if they don't want to listen. That's it. Done. Those who, the atheists or whatever, those who want to see Allah, I'll see it, when I, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe that God exists when I see him, right? God gave you enough of an evidence in the Quran, in the Sunnah, to know he exists. To know that this religion is the truth. You are too arrogant to embrace. This is on you. I'm not going to force you. Because if I sit here and try to convince you, Alhamdulillah, inshallah, I'm getting my rewards from Allah. That's all I need. Forcing you is not going to add anything. As a matter of fact, it will cause a problem because people will think, oh, Islam forces people, which is not the case. Islam tells me to be gentle while preaching Islam to you or telling you about Islam. And that's what I'm trying to do. You don't want to see the truth? Again, it's on you. You're, it's going to be like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what also in the chapter of Ra'd verse number 40. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْكَ الْبَلَاغُ وَعَلَيْنَا الْحِسَابِ He was talking to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, you, all you have to do is just give them the message. Convey the message. عَلَيْكَ الْبَلَاغُ And I, Allah is talking about himself, will judge. You don't judge. I judge. عَلَيْكَ الْبَلَاغُ He's talking to the Prophet ﷺ and basically he's talking to all of us. You can convey the message. Just give the message to people, like I'm doing right now. Whether they accept it or not, I will judge. I will punish or I will reward, not us. This all contradicts the fake idea that Islam or we can force Islam on people. We can't. We simply can't. Because that means we're contradicting Allah's commands. We're disobeying Allah's commands in the Quran. 
So just be careful. To preach Islam, it has to be kindly. And people don't want to listen, they don't want to listen. Alhamdulillah, the overwhelming majority of like Muslim uh, you know, schools or Islamic schools or even individuals, they preach Islam the correct way, by kindness. And again, I want to, and I'm going to end with this inshallah, because I don't want to take too long. This is again, alhamdulillah, I, I hope I made my point and I answered the question. During, but I just want to tell that story. Uh, there were battles between Quraysh, again, the disbelievers the, of Mecca, and the, uh, by the way, Quraysh, it's the tribe of the Prophet and the, the Prophet There was many battles, right? But guess when were, or when it was the largest amount of Muslims who embraced Islam? When was that? Do you guys, could you guys guess? I said it, by the way, in season four. There was a treaty called the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the peace treaty between the Muslims and the people of Quraysh. No war, no attacks, and we can trade with one another. No fighting. Very famous peace treaty, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. More than 10,000 Muslims, more than 10,000 Muslims embraced Islam in about a year. Far more than any other time before then. Here's, here's the point. It happened during what? The peace treaty. <laughs> the peace treaty of Hudaybiyah caused, how did it do that? How did it cause more than 10,000 Muslims to embrace Islam? Because disbelievers dealt with believers in a social gathering when they were trading, buying and selling from one another. They started realizing this is perfection. Because by the way, the best people who manifested Islam after the Prophet ﷺ were the companions. So they saw perfection in dealings with one another. They saw mannerisms that they've never seen before. They saw discipline. They saw people praying. They saw something different they've never witnessed before. So they started to get curious. So the companions started telling them about Islam and more than 10,000 embraced Islam. That was a huge number, by the way, back in, the, back in the day. Biggest proof, Islam spread the most at the time of the Prophet Of course, it spread after that. But during these battles, it spread the most during a peace treaty. The most. Because it is the truth. By Allah, wallahi, it is the truth. So uh, again, Sister Mu'mina, thank you so much uh, and th thank you all for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.